Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. And we're back. This is the Alt in Our Stars podcast. My name's Chris Payne. I'm a staff writer at Billboard. I host this podcast every week, do an interview for the Alt in Our Stars with someone in the world of alternative music, musician, writer, someone who I think I'll have an interesting conversation with. And this week, Laura Jane Grace of Against Me. She's the guest. Talk with her for a while about all sorts of things, most of them relating to two big projects she has coming. First one is new Against Me album out today, September 16th, same day this podcast is dropping. And this November, November 15th, her memoir is coming out. It's called Tranny, Confessions of Punk Rock's Most Infamous Anarchist Sellout. And yeah, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I would think. And uh, we did talk a while in this episode about the idea of selling out, what that means within the punk community, and how it's affected Laura Jane throughout her career, throughout Against Me's career. Um, it's really followed them from the most DIY of DIY labels that they've been on, even jumping from that to a small or a medium-sized indie label to jumping to a bigger indie label to jumping to a major label, then self-releasing again. It's something interesting that you know I think is interesting to grapple with. Uh, the last album that Against Me put out, Laura Jane was coming out, out as trans and transitioning was a big part of the narrative with that one. This one's called Shapeshift With Me, the new album. And Laura Jane told me it's more about moving past that and writing about love and life, just a lot of things she's going through through her own unique perspective. And I really wanted to do an interview that's a great companion piece to the album and the book. So hope you enjoy it. Hope this gets you in the mood for getting into new things from Against Me. And if you like the show, subscribe. Please rate us on iTunes. You can get all the old episodes there. Mitski, Modern Baseball, Pup, Lucy Dacus coming next week. But this week, Against Me, Alt and Our Stars podcast. Here it is. Laura Jane Grace, Alt and Our Stars podcast. Hi. Thanks for coming by. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I just read your book, and it's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, like I, we were just talking outside. Read it in two and a half, maybe three days. I think that's a good sign, right? That is. That is a good sign. I have to be honest, I didn't say it out there, but I'm I'm terrified of people reading my book. It okay. It kind of terrifies me that you okay. read my book. It's like, I mean, it, you know, as you know from reading it, it's like journal entries and stuff like that. So, like, I don't know if you keep a diary or anything, or if you did, if you'd want people reading your diary. Mm. And I voluntarily did that. <laughs> so. so you're in a stage now where very few people have really glimpsed this. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, it's going to be somewhat gradual, and then November comes, and... And then I will never have a normal social interaction again. <laughs> so that's cool. That's something to look forward to. <laughs> I mean, one big takeaway I have from the book is just how much Against Me's fans have changed over the years, going from, like, DIY kids and crusty kids to them kind of disowning you and getting a whole lot of new fans from the epic days, and then, like, recently getting so many trans fans. Like, what is it like watching this fan base evolve? Um, well, you know, a lot of that's like even just the changing of the punk scene, you know, like it's not like that. I, I don't feel like that segment of fans or that group of fans that like we started out with. I don't feel like that same section of the punk scene exists 
in the same way it did back then anyways it's not like they're just going to some other show now or something like that they all like grew up and got jobs and sold out actually (laughs) but it's um i i don't know you know i mean there is like a certain like um element of punk rock too where like and and with our shows where like in a way the audience hasn't changed you know like it's always been there's always been like a certain age people at the shows even though that's not to say like it's always young kids but like with punk rock in general there's always young kids involved you know um but you know when you're a band long enough that's just kind of what happens so yeah those kids were so mean back in the day they were a little mean i gotta be honest (laughs) it was hurtful it was very hurtful (laughs) yeah like i mean that's a little bit before my time and for instance i had heard stories of say when jawbreaker signed to a major label kids would sit down on the ground and face the other way when they played a new song but with you guys they were like pouring bleach on your merch it was like physical attacks yeah and and, and, i mean we got our tires slashed we played a polish american hall on long island and it was like a 17 year old fan of the band set up this show and i think it was eight dollars and we got our tires slashed for being sellouts for playing like and i mean you know that there was as you read in the book there's like a maximum rock and roll card article that was written about advising people to sabotage our shows and stop them at all costs and that that actually like wasn't even about like that was before we had signed to a major label that was strictly because the person who wrote it thought it was wrong that we did package tours where we would do whole tours with the same bands that was their complaint then that we were sellouts because we did that because that would homogenize the scene or didn't support local acts when you did that so i mean it you know people had a problem with us for most everything we did all along the way yeah and also just going from no idea to fat rack or even going from planet x records to no idea people were pissed off at originally and then yes no idea to fat rack people were pissed off about and then fat rack to sire warner people were pissed off about yeah yeah like like you were saying how these things change i'd like to think that sort of pretentiousness violent pretentiousness doesn't really exist that much in punk anymore yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, obviously, like, I'm not kids. in touch with that that uh, that segment of it anymore, um, and I, you know, can critique that to death, you know. But yeah, I would at least hope that. I mean, I think you know, being against the establishment and like certain progressive values are always going to be a part of it. But just that very negative, violent side of like the so-called sellouts, I would like to think that's gone. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's it's all ridiculous, kind of. But whatever. Yeah, punk rock. <laughs> Do you still get any hints of that in your shows? Like people like giving you the finger and just like animosity about Sire? Is there anything about? Not uh, about Sire, no. But there's still, yeah. I mean, there's still like you know they say not to read the comments, but every once in a while I still look at the comments, and you know I still like we'll we'll see on Facebook every once in a while someone being like they sold out but only now <laughs> like self-releasing <laughs> yeah. yeah well you know <laughs> self-releasing on your own label yeah maybe they're still mad about those package tours maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah so another really interesting takeaway i have from the book it's like seeing like where you came up with these anarchist leanings you know well documented in your music but even more well documented in your autobiography then just like this immense sense of ambition that you had with like always pushing the band forward bigger crowds new people it seems like that didn't really exist in punk especially where you came up this ambition so like where do you think you got that from i think a lot of that was you know there was the desire to escape south florida um and 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 I don't know, you know, like a lot of it once it was going to was realizing that if it didn't keep getting bigger, that it was going to die, mm-hmm. you know, especially like being on fat records where it was like, you know, you could almost see it on the one hand where it was like, we could very realistically be on fat records for the next two decades and put out a record every two or three years and go and do our tour and we'll make a nice modest living. But it would be like creative death and it would probably it the band would end eventually not that every band doesn't end but the band would end in a way that i didn't want it to end i I felt like it had to just like in order to keep it together it had to keep getting bigger and and you know being more ambitious like that Hmm. because you'd think other people would have 
like an, a strong urge to get out of Florida, if, especially if you were a punk. But see, I also, you know, I don't, I don't buy into that to a certain extent too, where it's like, you know, I, that was something that always annoyed me back in the day with a lot, a lot of bands and, and people would, who'd criticize us, you know, where it was like, they'd be like, you know, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm putting out records and recording music, but I don't want to be big. I don't want to be popular. I don't actually want people to like anyone who ever says that when they're recording music and putting it out, they're lying. They want to be big. They want to be popular. If you aren't in a band because you want to have everyone hear your band that would possibly hear your band like that, I just don't believe that. I, I honestly don't, you know? Yeah. There were some pretty whack things that especially the people at Sire that you call out in the book. <laughs> like the, I think the funniest one might have been when you recorded uh, "Bastards of Young." You covered the replacement song, and it was the people who literally put out that song, and they're like, "Oh, great song!" Yeah, they good thought, one. They thought that I had written it. Yes, I mean, granted, you know, they didn't probably work at Sire when Sire put out that record or whatever, but you know, they should have known. It wasn't. <laughs> Come it, wasn't on, Seymour, you know? it, it wasn't Seymour Stein. Yeah, it wasn't Seymour that. Stein. No, Seymour was great. Like Seymour, Seymour was one of the like really surprising parts of being on Sire of how like you would have expected someone as senior as him and mm-hmm. high, high up or whatever like to have not cared and he would come out and he'd be at a show and he'd be on stage the whole time and really like would go out and party afterwards and just really like obviously loved music and still loved being a part of it a part of it you know at at whatever age tell you some stories about the day i signed madonna (laughs) i wanted to hear those stories yeah you know i mean that was like to us too it was like unbelievable that people couldn't see why we would want to be on that label when we signed to it where it was like yeah that was the label the ramones were on echo and the bunny men the replacements you know like so many bands where it was like those were the bands we have always said we looked up to those were like bands that like you know started the og sellouts yeah (laughs) right (laughs) actually i i transcribed an interview once where another writer interviewed seymour stein and he told him the story of signing Madonna. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I vaguely remember it, but she was in the hospital for some reason. Okay. And he came and surprised her, and she didn't believe it at first. That sounds and, pretty Seymour. And yeah. it was mm-hmm. this big happy moment. That's <laughs> vaguely what I, I was like back at intern like five years ago. And the rest is history. <laughs> Here, let's drop in some music. This is 333 from the new album. All reasons to be fearful, but every noon wake up. Shapeshift with me. Yes. New album. So you're saying this is sort of like a trans love story? Um, Not a love story, but like, I guess what I was interested in doing, like, was kind of moving on as far as like so much of like, uh, I feel like trans representation in, in the media, while there's been so much more, and that's a great thing, it always really focuses heavily on the like, the transition part you know as opposed to like now i just want to live my life you know and like do things that everyone else does you know and and not focus on just trans 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 you know um but you know i felt like that it's an interesting perspective or an interesting thing to think about or i certainly couldn't stop thinking about it when writing this record of like you know um of relationship dynamics and and how much of like emotions when you're in a relationship are influenced by testosterone and estrogen and how much like you know questioning whether or not like that makes certain emotions exclusive to to a gender you know Mm. which which isn't the case i don't think but like i i don't know it's like you know like you turn on the radio and most pop music is a guy or a girl singing about falling in love with someone or having their heart broken by somebody. That's like 95% of the songs out there, right? Or wanting to fuck somebody or something like, you know? And and uh, I feel like that that should be valid from a trans perspective as well. And especially with trans people where um, historically trans people, when it comes to sexuality and representing sexuality, you know, it's been nothing but a fetish, you know, or like, or a taboo or something like that. So I feel like that, you know, that needs to be part of it too. Yeah. And with transitioning, you detail in the book how 
there were periods where it was so difficult where you were going between testosterone and estrogen and like what that was like. They are the most powerful, purest drugs. And everyone has testosterone and estrogen in them. And if you have a little bit more testosterone, it makes you think and react this way. If you have a little bit more estrogen, it makes you think and react this way in certain situations. And realizing that, like having had that experience, it's mind blowing, you know, knowing that if faced in a certain situation, I would react this way just based on how much I have of this one hormone in me. Huh. And you're saying you've seen changes in how you react to things? And how I interpret emotions, for sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm. I mean, that's like, it's a pretty mind-blowing experience. Mm. And do you feel like you've entered a period of more clarity since like a couple years ago where you were transitioning where now it, it makes more sense? Um, I, What do you mean makes more sense? Like... I suppose just like settling in and being more used to these emotions where they may be more consistent. Um, <laughs> well, I, you know, it's funny, like, cause I have to go for uh, blood tests like every couple months. And, uh, I went one time recently and my doctor was like, you need to take a little less estrogen. You basically have been ovulating for the past three months. <laughs> so like knowing that that was my hormonal level for like three months, mm-hmm. I'm sure I was like, um, I was in a certain state, but yeah. 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 And I'm sure like, you know, health being a big priority for you and you detail it so much very like candidly in the book about dealing with drugs and alcohol and periods of binging and just trying to get clean completely. Like I'm interested. What is what is that balance you have now? What's like your attitude towards drugs and alcohol? Um, You know, it's unfortunate. I think that um, to a certain extent, most people in bands are functioning alcoholics. I'm a functioning alcoholic, you know, like you can't you can't have a drink or not even one drink. You can't have multiple drinks every single night of the year for a year straight and not be an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic, you know, but at the same time, like I hold my shit together. It's not like I wake up in the morning and I need to drink immediately. You mm-hmm. know, I just know that when I'm on tour after the show, we're all going to be on the bus and eventually a bottle of wine is going to get a popped open and I'm going to have two or three glasses, you know, um, when it comes down to it, like I'm, you know, like I, I like having a couple drinks and I like smoking weed. Um, and I was told, you know, that I needed to be on like heavy antidepressants and I refused that because I didn't want to be on heavy pharmaceuticals. So like the idea of medical marijuana, like I strongly believe in and strongly think marijuana should be legal for those reasons, because I know the way it helps me with anxiety and with depression. And I would much rather smoke weed than be like um, dependent on on a pharmaceutical. Hmm. So so marijuana helps you stay away from pharmaceuticals or maybe like hard drugs. Marijuana helps me with depression and, and anxiety for mm-hmm. sure. Uh huh. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting what you say just about everyone in the music industry. And I see it because, like, you know, as a journalist, you know, often inter- interchanging, overlapping, seeing what it's like for touring musicians. As far as drinking and drugs and yeah, stuff just, like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and just, like, myself going out to shows. It's like you feel kind of strange if you just go out to a show where most people are drinking, not having a drink in your hand. Right, sure. And, I, you know, I've always had the ability where, like, if and it usually I I'm, I'm big on like New Year's resolutions as you might have picked up from reading <laughs> the book and I if I'm like okay New Year's Day I'm gonna take X amount of time off drinking I can I can take months off drinking or I went a year and a half without where I was just stone cold sober you know um, but it, you always it's just like such an a part of touring you know and a, such a part of band life that it's hard to like hard to resist you know are there people you know who have like maybe had issues and completely quit it and are now in the clear just don't drink and are still around that lifestyle i can't think of any other than people who are always just straight edge or always just that was never their thing yeah but no i mean and again it's like you know it's not people that may i feel like most of the people wouldn't say like wouldn't talk like i'm talking or saying like i'm an alcoholic you know like Mm. but again if you drink every single night of the year you're an alcoholic that's just like the case you know and you don't need to be a complete wreck to to have that be the case but it's true yeah yeah it's because like often i talk to musicians who have like dealt with some sort of addiction and like occasionally like I've, i've i've had podcasts with people who were recently sober like are you familiar with the band modern baseball i know of them okay uh-huh, sure someone from that band like like positive experience now clean um also florida scott Stapp i had on this podcast once 
he's gone through a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's, I feel like there's a lot of reasons for that, like why historically drugs and alcohol are associated with the music scene, you know, like mm-hmm. where obviously there's the social element, you know, like you're going on tour and you're touring with a bunch of other bands or you're in these strange places with strangers and it's like, how are we all going to get along? What's the common denominator? Drinking, you know? Um, or there's just so many dead hours where you're doing nothing. I mean, fuck, it's hard to quit smoking cigarettes. Like, cigarettes are what I really miss, and I haven't had a mm. cigarette since, like, September right now. But, um, okay, like, uh, yeah, you're just, like, sitting. It's like a game of hurry up and wait. Hurry up to get to the venue to sit there and wait for the show to start. Hurry up and get to the airport to sit there and wait for the flight to take off. To sit on a plane for hours. Yeah, it sounds like... like- if you're touring with Alkaline Trio, there's going to be some drinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if we ever did a tour with a straight edge band. I don't know. But we've, I mean, they definitely toured with straight edge people. Yeah. Yeah. See, one thing I was I was thinking about in the book, straight edge made me think of this. You were on the Warp Tour of the Year, Fat Mike and Under Oath in the Christian bands. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Uh huh. What was that? 2006. Like? You know, that was like, we've done the Warp Tour three times, and 2006 was amazing. I had like the best summer of my life that year just because it was like punk rock summer camp where it was no effects, Bouncing Souls, Less Than Jake, um, Joan Jett, Buzzcocks, The Germs did a couple shows. And it was just like, mm-hmm. you know, we were like the young band that got taken under the wing by all those bands and were hanging out with like all our childhood heroes or whatever. And uh, it was a lot of fun. But then, you know, outside of that group of bands there was the other bands that were on the warp tour that were way more popular than all of us you know like we're with like under oath you know or or whoever but um i don't know that the the whole thing had kind of like a total like high school drama thing about it you know that's the way it's because i was like reading about this on absolute punk message boards back in the day yeah mm -hmm. where i remember like that you know I feel like Warp Tour has gotten worse with some of those things where like, you know, there'd be Bible meetings on the Warp Tour backstage and I'd see signs for it and it's like, what? And now it's like, you know, I mean, they had army recruitment tents for a while, but like, what did I hear recently? There was like a pro-life organization oh, yeah, yeah, that, on Warp Tour or something like yeah, that, that was, where it's just like, come on. I mean, there was always like the truth organization, but that was like part of the joke was that like all the truth people like would duck behind their tent and smoke cigarettes oh, when the they were smoking. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another, I would say maybe a big drinker, Brennan Kelly from the Lawrence Arms. Yes. Yeah. It was really great reading the book because I learned about him, how he... You were, he was the first person you came out to, right? He was the first person I drunkenly came out to at yeah. a bar. Uh-huh. Yep. Brendan it, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> I love Brendan. Yeah. He tattooed a B on my arm right there. Okay. <laughs> still there? Uh-huh. Not, well, it's a tattoo. So, it's yes, a tattoo. it's still there. I, we had matching tattoos, one that was on my wrist that I had removed. Uh, but, yeah. That's why I say that, because you mentioned the Ramblin' Boys of Pleasure was, yeah, yeah. one that you next. Yeah, I didn't like it just because it said Ramblin' Boys of Pleasure. Not a boy. Yes. <laughs> it was a drunken mistake. Literally the only drunken tattoo I've ever gotten. Well, that's not true. I was drunk when Brendan gave me the B, too. But any drunk, time I've been drunk while getting a tattoo has been with Brendan. Yeah, and it's 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 great to hear that he's it seems like a very warm, understanding person because he likes to tell some jokes. Sure, yeah, mm-hmm. It's a little rough around the edges, but... But Brendan's sweet. He's yeah. funny. I mean, he's a parent, you know? Like, he's mm-hmm. married. Like, and he's he, obviously lovable. <laughs> and he was the first person to really question you about your lyrics, right? Um. Well, I mean, he questioned me, like, in an... Yeah, I guess maybe he was, like, the first person to really, like... F- I felt like, fuck, he's on to me, you know? <laughs> like, in that, that type of way, for sure. Yeah, uh-huh. Because, yeah, like like a song like The Ocean, talking about wishing you were born a girl and other songs in the past. It's like you'd think if, you know, you had some hardcore fans, you'd think someone would have read into the lyrics and maybe brought it up, but... No, no one ever really did, you know? Mm. And I mean, I talk about that in the book where I remember, like, recording that song and stopping and asking everybody, like, are those lyrics weird? Anybody? Anybody? And everyone's just like, no, it's great. Go with it. But there's obviously no metaphor about that. Like, And that was, like, kind of like... At that point, the song The Ocean, you know, that's on our fourth full length. And I'd been like hiding like things and songs on every Against Me record talking about my dysphoria, you know, where 
by the fourth record, I was just like coming out and saying it directly. There's no metaphor of saying if I could have chosen, I would have been born a woman. Um, I don't know how you can be more direct than that, you know. What is it like touring now, like being trans? Are there any struggles you go through or any like, any like, you know, like prejudices that you, when you're going around? Um, the bathroom thing is always, you know, kind of an issue. Truck stops, stuff like that. Uh... Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. But I mean, for the most part, you know, it's it's whatever, you know, I think, you know, it just it's how I carry myself through the world. Hmm. Yeah. And like North Carolina, I'm sure that seeing that coming up on the recent tour was like big thing. Like, what am I going to do? Not really. See, that was the thing about that. That North Carolina show is like, you know, like we were booked to play in Charlotte before HB2 happened. And when HB2 happened, like, I don't even remember reading about it until Bruce Springsteen boycotted. Mm -hmm. And then my manager called me and he's like, hey, you know, Springsteen's boycotting. A bunch of other people are, too. If you want to go ahead and join the boycott, now's the time to do it to cancel the show. And I was like, no way. Why would we cancel the show? I like I just assumed that that was already the law in North Carolina. I assumed that that's the way it is (laughs) everywhere I go, you know, like. So it was like, oh, that doesn't make any difference, you know, like, oh, there's a law. I thought it was like that already, you know. Um, and, and that that's like the reality that was part of why I didn't want to cancel is cause like, that's, you know, that's, that's my reality. Like, I, I don't know. Burn your birth certificate. Yeah. I like the, the people who are all like, they're like, Oh, you burned your birth certificate. Now what are you going to do? It's like, when the fuck was the last time you used your birth certificate <laughs> for anything? You know, like when I had to ask my mom for it. I didn't, I haven't had it for like years, you know, I had to ask mom to FedEx it. <laughs> <laughs> Just normal mail, but yeah. <laughs> I thought ahead. Yeah, and with the bathrooms, I have seen in a lot of places where concerts happen, places where shows happen, even like bigger, more corporate places, I've seen just like non-discriminant bathrooms, just like whatever. Right. So that could maybe be sort of a conduit for change there. Yeah, Sure. Yeah, because I'm I'm thinking like it's it's probably just going to take so much for that to be the norm. But music in that space seems like a place that's much more woke about that right now. Sure. Yeah. The one that comes to mind is I was at this thing called Shadow of the City Festival in Asbury Park. Okay. That Jack Antonoff from Bleachers uh-huh. puts on, and had like a really good lineup. Had like Carly Rae Jepsen, had Borns. A really, you know, it was a fun one day festival. And it was, you know, it's at the Stone Pony, has, like, a lot of bigger artists, like, corporate sponsors and events, but had just, like, non-discriminant bathrooms. I was like, okay. It's a show, you know? Yeah. Like, chances are, A, everyone's just peeing at a show, you know? Yeah. Like, just, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I mean, like, festivals, too. It's like, there's always porta-potties at festivals, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. But they're separated. But then it's, like, something is, like, when you see when they're not separate, it's like they don't need to be I don't, separated. I also, I don't know if you've ever, like, gone to, Euro- like, festivals in Europe or anything like that where they'll just have troughs out in the open for people to piss in. I've just been like in places a, a, yeah, that have that. So it's yeah, like you're yeah. not even going behind a door of any type. You're just standing there, you know? But 
I don't know, whatever. Yeah. It's a bodily function. <laughs> to quote a famous children's book, everybody poops. <laughs> Let's drop in some more new music. This is Haunting Haunted Haunts. Because I'm haunted, so I'm breaking spells of intention. All I can see is a space in between. The space where you're missing. I once was struck on you, so very stonefully compelled. Now I'm not sure you ever were. I once was struck on you, so very stonefully compelled. So guided, bound, and well. Put the bond right up, you're already gone. Yeah, so with the first single, 333, that we played a little while ago, take me through that one. You know, the lead single, is it sort of on this theme of two people coming together and like obviously 333 half of 666 like sort of this unholy combination no not at all actually let me explain um so we uh in i think it was may of 2015 we did a european tour and woke up one morning in bilbao spain and went to the guggenheim museum and i had never been to the guggenheim museum and i had actually never really had a museum experience that like moved me you know and going there it was just like mind-blowing and i just was so affected by so much of the art i saw that it like really was impactful so um the lyrics of that song are all references to all the 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 art that was there you know 150 marylands is the name of a um andy warhol painting um but specifically what inspired the song was a painting called the renowned orders of the night and that painting uh is about uh mankind's or humanity's like search for finding heaven trying to find reason to find heaven so um for me when i was saying i want to be as close as i can get to you i'm not like talking about a person and talking about trying to find heaven you know um and trying to figure out what that means to me um but but yeah i mean the tarot garden is a reference to a nikki day saint foul um art uh the exhibit the nikki de saint Fal exhibit there was just like mind-blowing incredible i could have spent days walking through that but um yeah i mean that that song was inspired by the the guggenheim yeah so don't assume all songs are written about a person and their love songs <laughs> <laughs> but that's music you know like it should be a like the listener's interpretation is just as as valid as the as the writer's interpretation you know mm-hmm. yeah so um also, another thing, like, working with James for so long in the band, you know, like, how there's been so many lineup shifts and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, take me through, like, we could center it on just the specific album, because it seems like you do most of the songwriting, but what is his role like? Um, James is the lead guitar player. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, you know, at this point, like, obviously, I, I, I met James on the first day of high school, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been, you know musical partners ever since and uh i don't know like our relationship is really just second nature it's not something you have to think about or anything like that but like with with against me and with lineup changes and everything like that i you know i'm not sure if that's something that everyone's always gotten to with that you know the band never it was not like four people got together and went into a room and picked up their instruments and against me was born that's not the story of against me like i started against me on my own in my bedroom on a four track and then like from there it was always like ah you know like playing with other people is more fun i want to play music with other people but i kind of always realized like even from the beginning that if i was going to make this work and make it survive i'd have to be flexible and like if someone even coming from like an anarchist philosophy of like you know it shouldn't no one should feel like they're trapped and they have to do something you know that if someone's like wants to come and play for a while cool let's be open to that and if it's time for them to go let's be open to that too and like that's how you're gonna have to be in order to survive yeah tell me about the title what is what does shapeshift mean to you um changing i mean i guess it's you know a trans uh, reference to transition but it's also like a I don't know. Like, I feel like I feel like a shapeshifter. I want to be a shapeshifter, you know? Like, I don't feel like I have the same form physically that I had, like, years ago. I don't. Um, part of part of that's, like, growing old, you know? Um, but I, I, I really like the idea also, you know, coming from a history of, like, tattoos and body modification, 
of of that you know of changing your body and being in control of that and being proactive with that as opposed to being like victim to that of just having your changes be result of age you know mm-hmm. um but but yeah i, I don't know i want to be an alien is that okay <laughs> so yeah, like it's like having agency over your own body. Sure, uh-huh. that's that's an important thing with lots of issues. Sure, yeah. Hmm. So, how is Evelyn doing? Evelyn's good. She's with her nanny right now. She's here with me in the city. Oh, okay, so, yeah. Uh huh. She's seven. She's six. She starts six. first grade this year. Okay. Where is she going to school? In Chicago. I'm not telling you where my kid goes to school. <laughs> <laughs> Not like what city? Oh, Chicago. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, oh okay, that, that's a good school. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, she goes to school in Chicago. That's where I live. So, mm, and she still comes and tours a good amount when when she can. You know, I mean, like, like she's she's gone to school since she was two years old. Um, and before, like when it wasn't, you know, like you have you legally have to go to school once you're a certain age. You know, so now I can't just like take her out during the school year and bring her on tour, but. Mm-hmm. During the summer, like I bring her when I can, and I, again, she's here with me now in New York. So cool. And do you have a new partner now? Uh, I've been dating someone for since yeah for like six months now. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say because forgive me, but I might not be able to pronounce her name. Uh, oh, her name is Beatrice. Okay. And she, but she's a she's an artist as well. She plays under the name Cure de Pirate. That was the one that I was having some trouble with. Yes. Yeah, how did you meet? Uh, she invited me to her show in Chicago. But, um, yeah, I mean, she's, you know, an awesome musician in her own right, brilliant mm-hmm. piano player, and uh, she's also a parent and also gone through a divorce, and so there was a lot of things that you can identify with or relate to, you know? Yeah. It, it gets weird when you're like, I don't know, the the lifestyle of being a musician, you know, a touring musician or whatever, isn't something most people can relate to. And my problem, like... I, I'm like odds I felt like for me as far as like dating felt pretty stacked against me being like yeah hi I'm a you know three-time convicted felon parent twice divorced um transsexual um, do you want to go on a date <laughs> and then also like being like cool um you know this date was great I'm gonna go on tour I'll see you in a month and a half can we hang out again then you know like it's really hard to find someone who's like a, a uh who finds that like <laughs> interesting i don't know or like wants to put up with that shit um but yeah but lots of things in common yeah no again yeah she you know she has her own touring to do and and her own thing going on yeah but so finding someone who can relate to to what you do is i feel like a really important thing yeah is any of the album inspired by her no i, I we met after that album was finished okay so is is Okay, so I guess it's also, I shouldn't be assuming that it's all just about, like, love, because you were just explaining how the one song was about a museum trip. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it was about that the new records was written over the two years that we were touring for Transgender Dysphoria Blues. And, you know, during those two years, I was freshly out of a marriage and, um, you know, also freshly out of marriage and then approaching dating for the first time as a trans person. Um openly trans as opposed to being closeted you know and so like going through that and starting to date and realizing the dysphoria that would be present sometimes when dating of like you're with somebody and you're in a situation you were before where they perceived you one way and now they perceive you this way and questioning like oh is this person attracted to like fading masculinity or the emerging femininity you know what is it that they see in me um and and how is this person going to adapt as I continue to change? You know, like, is it, what's the point of this relationship? You know, like, what is the point of love? What is Mm -hmm. the point of dating? You know, um, those are just like the things I was thinking about and things that I was questioning of like, what, what do I want out of a relationship? You know, I've been married twice. (laughs) Like, Maybe I'm not the marrying type, you know, um, maybe that isn't the answer. So if that's not the answer, what is, you know, if, if, Especially then when you're like, okay, you know, like, I, I have a kid. I'm, I have no plans on having more kids. I'm sterile, you know? So if you're not, like, fucking for procreation, why are you fucking? Are you just fucking for pleasure, you know? And what what is the point of attraction? Like, is it just, is love really just about, you know, um, continuing the species? <laughs> like, of making kids? Is that really what it's about? Or is it something beyond that, you know? So that's the things I was thinking about. It's a lot. 
It's heavy, right? Oh, congratulations <laughs> that you're, it seems like you're really happy with someone. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm in a good place, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with, with the book is, you know, we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show. As you're getting ready to share it, are there any people who are maybe mentioned in the book or maybe even not who you're kind of nervous about them reading it? I'm nervous about everyone <laughs> reading the book. Anytime someone comes up to me and says, oh, I'm really excited to read your book, I'm thinking, fuck, shit, oh my God, what did I do? Um but that was like another thing too with like with dating you know like with like okay like being with like finding Beatrice and like it's it's awesome but it, realizing at the same time it's like wow I once the book is out if I ever date anyone else again like my whole life story is there I can never like tell anything about my past to someone without them ever being like oh yeah I know I read it like <laughs> it's, it's kind of a weird thing you know yeah yeah, and, and th- there's so many touching like testimonials to people in your pa- past who have passed. There's like CC mm-hmm. and Pope, because I I wondered about the subject of Thrash Unreal. So you you were you know CC for like for those people listening who haven't read the book, close friend of yours, bartender from back in Gainesville, and at her funeral, her parents like asked you was that about her? Her mother asked me if the song Thrash Unreal was written about her. See, I I used to have. Uh, Cece's name tattooed on the back of my leg and her mom came up to me at the funeral and was like do you still have her name tattooed on you and I was like no I had it covered up and I felt terrible and then she was like did you write the song Thrash Unreal about Cece and I thought that she wanted to hear me say yes you know after I said no about the tattoo so I was like yes and she then told me how much that song hurt Cece because Cece thought it was about her when it really wasn't about her I just said it was at the funeral. Um, but so she made me promise on the spot to write a song to make up for that. So I wrote the song because of the shame as my song to make up for that. Mm. Is it about a specific person? Thresh and real? No, it was more about like a kind of the a type of person in Gainesville. Like there's mm. some, or most college towns in general, Gainesville's a college town. You know, there's, I feel like people who'd never get over the party you know like who were just like moved to a college town not even to go to school just to hang out and party and then they never move Mm. on from that you know yeah because thinking about like the the ocean lyrics wondering how it was that people didn't immediately like think about that perhaps they just thought it was just like you know getting into a character like you were with that song and just like hypothetical sure yeah yeah or do you think maybe just you know trans issues like that just weren't on people's minds and they just didn't think about it i definitely don't think it was as as on people's mind or definitely not as accepted i mean that was like you know going back to thrash and real like when we were going to make a video for that song like i i had a concept for the video and i was like i want to do this video i want to dress up in femme like i want to you know this is my idea for the video and i was told no and you know it was obvious that like you know there was a, a phobia there or whatever people weren't accepting of that idea yeah, because that probably would have been such a better video than what it came oh, out. Oh, the fashion real video is the worst fucking video. It's terrible. Such a waste of money. <laughs> sad. It was sad to think how much money has been wasted on music videos over the years. Not by my band even, particularly, you know? The strip club money, though. Well spent, <laughs> one could say. <laughs> yeah, because for those people listening, this is when Against Me was being courted by various major labels, mid two thousands. But see, I don't think that I I didn't I didn't tell the real story in the book when it came to the strip clubs. So when we were being courted by major labels the first time around, uh, Universal in particular, you know, they took us out to some strip club here in New York City, and like everyone was getting lap dances or whatever, and I didn't realize it until afterwards. But the one A and R person paid one of the strippers like whatever you know go with laura whatever you know like whatever laura wants i didn't realize that i was just like oh this person really wants to talk to me this is great so i ended up like meeting this really nice girl and i was like what are you doing after you get off can i buy you breakfast because it was really late so we went after the strip club and i took her out to breakfast and we had bacon and eggs and then i bought her a cab home and that was the end the nicest person (laughs) potentially on that major label roster (laughs) And then afterwards, I was like, oh, wait, that, that they totally just paid for that person to come out with me and have <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that captures such a strange moment. Well, not strange, because it was probably more common then, but 
Because it seems like like major labels don't really go after rock bands like that anymore. This was like we got in at the very tail end of an era where like because we didn't like when we signed to a major, it wasn't one of those deals where we had to like surrender merch rights and publishing rights. It was just a straight up old school major label million dollar record deal where it was like here sign X amount of records, you know. Um, where I like I'm thankful for it for a lot of reasons for the experiences for the bad and the good but like specifically just have like to have gotten into that tail end of like that experience of being taken out and courted by major labels and I don't know the ridiculousness of it story to tell yeah I lived (laughs) (laughs) tell Evelyn one day the days when major labels courted rock bands you know it's golden era (laughs) Yeah, is there anything else you think we haven't really talked about regarding the book, the new album? Uh, no. I mean, you know, I, I again, I'm fearful of people reading the book. At the same time, like, here I am promoting it. So <laughs> there's a book out in November and a record in September. And, yeah. Aside from your journals, have you ever written anything like that? Um, Attempted to. Yeah, you know, there was actually, like, I attempted to write the book in 2005 and I actually gave a couple people copies of it. Oh, like, wow. There's a ch- it was like, obviously, you know, it was up until 2005 um, and it was like in a really different form. But some of that actually made it into the book, like the in its in its finished form or whatever. But so I don't do you know the zine Razor Cake? No. Uh, it's a West Coast zine and Todd who runs Razor Cake also does a publishing house and I sent it to him and I was like, would you publish this? And he turned me down. But I like, yeah. Um, so I, I've messed around with it for a long time. So you were considering coming out back then? No, the, well, again, it was only up until 2005 and there was all that stuff wasn't in it. It was just okay. more a tale of drug use. Okay. So <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't good, you know? <laughs> Druggy book. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there's a lot of those. Yeah. So... I think this one's better. Thanks. Better than a drug story. Yeah. Even though there's plenty of that. <laughs> Is there a movie called A Drug Story? A Drug Story. It reminds me of like A Bronx Tale, A Drug Story. Like, uh, <laughs> Is that just me? Hello? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think with, because man, it's just so crazy how these nights that you went through and these like, because like I've been like saying like, you know, I work in the music industry, go out and drink a little bit, do some stuff. Man, it seems like you endured a lot. I, I've, I've lived. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I have lived. I can I, Yes, I feel good about saying that. Yeah, I mean, like I grew up in the suburbs, of New Jersey, and definitely like not super fancy or anything, but a lot more tame, and I think a lot more contained than how Florida is. Florida's, I mean, obviously, like Florida's like the butt of a lot of jokes when it comes to like wild news stories and everything, but Florida yeah. has a lot of that, you know. Like I, yeah. I remember like being, I don't know why I just thought of this. Oh, probably because it's a crazy story. So I remember like when I, when I first moved to Florida, the, um, the elementary school had like this, uh, Native American who would come and do like a presentation for the kids, you know, dress up in the full regalia, seminal, uh, wear, and then like, you know, do whatever. And that person ended up being my pot dealer when I was in middle school. (laughs) And I went over to his house one time and he like lived in this trailer. And he's like, I need you to crack my neck. I need you to stand behind me and like showed me how to lift up his head from his jaw. And he's like, now, if you do this wrong, you'll potentially paralyze me. So my wife here, she's going to hold this knife to your throat while you do it. (laughs) It was like terrifying. I'm like 13 years old. And this dude's having me crack his neck while his wife holds a knife to my throat just because i wanted to buy an eighth of weed it was good weed though not really (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't that good a weed why why was the knife necessary you obviously were fucking crazy that's what we called him crazy dave that was his name (laughs) he ended up like i think he ended up going to jail because another friend of mine went over there like a couple weeks after that and he attacked him with a katana blade and like chopped his hand in half it was oh. Florida. It was wild times. Florida. <laughs> well, I guess it's a lot more than just like less than Jake. That's <laughs> North, that's North Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I, there's like a real difference though between North Florida and South Florida. I mean, that's one of the cool things about Florida is like, I mean, you know, Pensacola and Miami are like worlds apart, you know, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. I, I'm thankful. Like Florida is one of those places too, like that. 
when you're from there, you can be like, oh, yeah, fuck Florida. Florida sucks. But at the same time, if anyone else says that, you're like, fuck you. What do you know about yeah. Florida? You, like, get really defensive and prideful about it, even though you know it's kind of a shit state. Yeah, well, it's, it, seemed like, it seems like you you started off in Naples, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And then Gainesville. So Gainesville obviously has a scene, but Naples, just not much. There was nothing yeah. in Naples. Yeah, the scene was me and my friends, you know. Um, there was just nothing going on there. And Gainesville is a college town, so cheap rent, you know. Um, that's where everyone gravitates to that's into music or or alternative scene or if you want to put it like that cool. well this has been great thanks so much for coming by My i think pleasure. we're getting kicked out of this room okay. it's got the little peak <laughs> hint hint but yeah thanks so much yeah my pleasure yeah that is the show uh, if this is your first time listening Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. Plenty more episodes like this one. Mitski, Pup, Modern Baseball, Big Ups, Downtown Boys. Get all those in the archives and iTunes. Just search for the Alt in Our Stars or in the podcast app of your phone. You can also rate the podcast, drop me a line, what you like, what you don't like. Get as specific as you would like. Star rating helps a lot. And yeah, it's a Really do check out Laura Jane's book. Like I said in the podcast, I blazed through that thing in a couple days. It's a really fast-moving, speedy read that I really don't think you'll want to put down. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Out November 15th. Pick it up. And with Alton Our Stars next week, Lucy Dacus interview. So until then, peace out, everybody. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.